This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com and the Radio.com app. For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins in the NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. Yeah. yeah. With Ken Laird from the Greg Hill Morning Show. That's evidently what Ken Laird wants you to believe. And WEEI.com Bruins writer Matt Calm. Everything going to be all right? <laughs> Place him up for some bees talk right now. It's the Skate Pod. Some escape. I'll give it a B. B plus. On WEEI. Holy, this is a big time show. It is a big time show. Here we go, Skate Pod for the 13th of February. Ken Laird and Matt Kalman, and you can follow us, of course, at the Skate Pod on Twitter. The Bruins played last night as this post, so uh, no talk about the Habs game, but real quick, uh, the Detroit game was one to forget yeah, to, on Sunday. Yeah, you have to give uh, our arch rival, Evan Marinovsky, the podcaster credit for the tweet that said the Bruins hope they don't get the Red Wings in the first round of the playoffs. No Somehow one... Detroit's 5-0 and against uh, Montreal and yeah, Boston. That's just the way it works sometimes, right? These weird quirks of the schedule. But, geez, to have two losses on the year against uh, – two regulation losses in, on the season against oh. the, the worst – not only the worst team in hockey, but one of the worst teams in years. Was the first team – first time they played them a back-to-back or no? Because this obviously this was the back end of it. I don't think it was. It's a bit of excuse-making, yeah. but you you do see the records of every team in the league on the second half of a back-to-back, right. especially the travel. That, that's a one-line team where the you know the goalie obviously played out of his mind. But, you know, I guess you turn the page and look forward. Obviously, in, in the grand scheme of things, they lost to Detroit twice last year and it didn't stop them. So Correct. Well, we appreciate all the good reviews on uh, our uh, iTunes yep. feed if they come in. We're a polarizing show. Some good, some bad. <laughs> Make uh, sure you uh, subscribe. Subscribe to us where you can. Apple Podcast. Podcast. Yeah. Uh, what else we got? Downcast. Stitcher. Got Stitcher. And you, you just, or you can just go on the radio.com app or just uh, listen on the website. You can do that. And of course, we're back on Sunday Skate, uh, 8 a.m. every Sunday with Pete Blackburn. Now we have a huge guest this week. I mean, and she was kind enough to come in studio. I think it might be our first like non WEI person in studio guest. She's from Nesson. Sophia Yerkstevich, of course, you know her by now, is the new ringside reporter uh, that started at the beginning of the year replacing Alex Kramer, uh, told us right off the hop she she likes radio. She wants maybe to get back into it. She did some radio in Toronto. Yeah, watch out, Dale. Uh, she's very good. She's yeah. coming for you. That's what I'm saying. And um, so we got into the state of the Bruins, of course, and uh, and the trade deadline and some hockey stuff. But uh, she actually, I think, made the comment, uh, how cool is she? She wanted to introduce herself more to right. the Boston audience. And yeah. she's our, I, I think she's a fan favorite already. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. In this business, you, you, you get hired by someone like Nesson, and the season starts. They throw you on the air. Yeah. You don't have a lot of chance to intro yourself. People don't really know where you're coming from. They might detect a little bit of her Canadian accent. We know she's from Toronto, but she's she's changed her colors and she's uh, you know really kind of become just you don't even actually while we were interviewing her, I didn't even realize that this was her first year. It feels like she's been here a couple of years now because she's so entrenched in the in the everything. Formerly of the Score, CBC, Rogers Sportsnet, and Hockey Night in Canada, where she worked with Don Cherry, former podcast guest. Sophia Yerkstevich, our guest this week on the Skate Pod. Well, you know we have a special guest in the studio when Kalman wears a uh, suit. That's right. Uh, and you wore your blazer, and Sophia Yerkstevich from Nesson is here. You've got a blazer on as well. I actually, uh, Matt can second this. I try to, I wear my Nesson t-shirt almost every day, <laughs> but right. today it's a blazer. I don't know. We're not even on air. But We're not that special. No, you know, I hope you know that. You, you've seen Kalman's work. You, you know he's not that special. Exactly. <laughs> but we appreciate it, and uh, you know, uh, you need no introduction, but of course uh, you're part of the Nesson family with Dale, who's on the air right now, and mm-hmm. uh, we welcome you here to the EEI Hockey Show. How's the uh, start been for you so far? Well, first of all, I am very happy to be here. As someone new to Boston, I really appreciate being um, uh, absorbed or, I guess, <laughs> uh, accepted by the fans and, yeah. and uh, the passionate Bruins fans and their hosts. So thank you for having me. And it's been 
crazy. It's been a wild ride and uh, so much fun. I, I really love working for Nesson, but the organization of the Boston Bruins and just moving to a new city and all, starting everything at once has been like, I, I feel like I haven't slept since I moved here, but I have, but it's been good. It's <laughs> been good. You cover a, a very good team as well. That doesn't hurt. Uh, first place in the National Hockey League and uh, in, in the spotlight right now. So that's cool. Absolutely. When uh, Before Matt and I were just outside and, and my background is in Toronto, Canada, where the passion is is crazy and it's huge. But the years that I covered the Toronto Maple Leafs were right before Mike Babcock got there when Austin Matthews was drafted. I was at the draft, but then I stopped being a regular in the dressing room. So I was around a team that was struggling for eight years and it and or longer. Uh, but I was there for about eight years, and it makes a huge difference to be in a winning room. It it's very helpful and nice. <laughs> I think I think the smartest thing. The most ingenious thing you did was like basically one of your first segments was to do the thing where they tried to guess how to say your last name. Yeah. And that was just so brilliant that not only did you kind of, you know, get to know the players that way, but that everyone that watched it then knew it and was able to probably try to say it. It became kind of a viral thing. That was a, that was a brilliant thing to do. It, it did go viral. I still hear about it from <laughs> if I run into fans. Oh, I love that piece because it, it exposed the players. It made them look silly right. too when they couldn't pronounce it. I have to give credit to Howard Zalkowicz at, uh, at Nessa. Well, there's it was another his name. Idea. Yeah. I know, no double wonder. Z's. Double Z's. <laughs> um, but... It was so much fun doing it, and I uh, I loved seeing the American and Canadian struggle, and then <laughs> right. the Europeans just nail it. Exactly. So, but it's, it was fun. It reminded it me of like when you go away to summer camp and you like have your mom bake some cookies to like make sure people know who you oh, are. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, you're the cookie guy. So now you know you right off the bat became you know everyone kind of knew who you were right there and there. Well, really quick side note: when I first started in the industry and I started being on air, I was an intern for years, but like 23 years old, I started being on air. I had a producer ask me to change my oh, last name. And I said no, because it's my dad's last name. And if it wasn't for my dad, I wouldn't have had the passion that I do for sports. My mom too, but it was him who really took me under his wing and taught me hockey and taught me this. And so what a disservice to my father <laughs> to change the name. Right, sure. And I'm so glad because now it's it's memorable. What, so. what were the suggestions? Did they have names picked out to, to choose from or no? No, they asked me to think about it, but my mom's maiden name, she's Polish too, is Witt, W-I-T-T, so it's very easy. And it that's Sophia Witt. That's a nice little name. But um, I love my mom, but it, like I said, if it wasn't for my dad, yeah. I wouldn't be here. So every time he sees, he watches everything. And every time he sees his name on there, it makes him proud. So Well, what are the, some of the cool things you've done so far? Matt brought up the uh, the name segment. That was obviously notable, but what else? Well, the, the Bruins have been so accommodating um, with exposure and access to their players, and obviously the n- partnership with Nesson has a lot to do with that. And um, we've had, you know, I've had the chance to to do more personality pieces. Um, just the other day I was at Anders Bjork's apartment checking out his shoe collection um and this came up because he i noticed that he wears sneakers like differently than the other players and i can tell they're like fresh sneakers and so i talked to him about it just off to the side once he pointed out a pair of runners that i had on and he's admitted to being a sneakerhead and i i asked him i was like would you be down to like show us your collection and he just lit up and was like down yes i want (laughs) i want to show nesson my sneakers so we spent the afternoon at his house um, going through his collection. So that was like a fun lifestyle piece, getting to know him. How many pairs does he have? Well, we didn't go through all of them, but I think we talked about at least like 14 or 15 that he has on display. And actually when we were there, he received a package of shoes <laughs> while we were there. The The lobby called 
and said, we've got a package for you. And he's like, dude, I think it's the shoes I ordered. So we got to open them on camera, which was pretty good. Um, So that was a fun piece. And Nesson does these things called My Stories. They've done them with the Red Sox. They're doing them with the Bruins. And I had the pleasure of uh, sitting down for a long time with Sean Corrali, Jake DeBrusque, and Brad Marchand. Um, Jake... When I first joined Nesson, I was at a golf. I was at the golf tournament, their annual golf tournament, and before the season starts, and I kind of went up to every player I and introduced myself. And I saw Jake coming off of a golf cart, and I said, "Hey, Jake, I'm Sophia." And I stuck my hand out, and he looked at me and he said, "Are you crazy?" And he gave me a hug, <laughs> and he said, "How could I forget you? You were the first person that ever interviewed me after I was drafted." Oh, no oh wow! And I didn't remember that because I went through a whole. I did the draft for many years at Sportsnet. And I didn't remember, I remembered him when he said that, but I didn't remember that he would have remembered that. And so that was a really fun moment. So in our My Story, we talked about that. We talked about his draft day and how in the morning of he shaved off a mole and it was bleeding everywhere on camera (laughs) while he was getting drafted. So fun story there. And um, most recently we, we, we talked to Brad Marchand who... You know, uh, one of the only players left on the team, one of the few that won in, in 2011, and he, he got pretty emotional. And as you know him from the room, he's charismatic, he's fiery, he's got personality, but he actually teared up um, on camera. And for me being new to Nesson and joining the Bruins, it just really hit me like how much these guys care and how much he cares and and what what the Bruins mean to him Um, so can I give a shameless plug of it airing on February 19th on Nesson that'll be the Brad Marchand my story and it was a lot of fun to do I mean Marchand in and of itself not to cut you off Matt he's such a an interesting guy of course last year he had the feud with some of the Canadian reporters Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if you know any any of the people involved there God I mean you you stepped in so nice to get on Brad's good side but just Brad alone is is worth do you have any Brad's discussion Um, probably none I would tell right now but uh, (laughs) I'm still working but let's just say my son is a huge Brad Marchand fan, and Brad has been very nice to him in the last year or so, so that's been great. But I also wanted to ask you, though, um, I watched the segment you did from the All-Star Weekend mm-hmm. you went to the, when you went to like the Fan Fest. Yes. And you were shooting pucks. Yes. How, how often did you play? Are you, what? Okay, so confession. I never played okay. in a league. Uh-huh. Um being the one of five kids from a Polish immigrant family, it was absolutely unaffordable. Oh, it was God. just un- impossible. Yep. We played tennis growing up competitively, so that was easy. A racket and a ball and free cement courts outside of our house. Um, but I also grew up around a rink and just played what I didn't know this word wasn't common in America, but shinny. Does mm-hmm. anyone know the word shinny? Yeah, shinny. Okay. Right. People ask me what shinny is Canadian all the time. Word, yeah. Pick yeah. up, basically pick up hockey. I did grow up playing on, on lakes and backyard rinks, um, but never in a league. So we never had, you know, drew out systems or positions. I just kind of play in the backyard. I could skate very pretty well, can't shoot very well. Um, but it's something that I look forward to every year. The thing is too, with the hockey schedule, when you start working in it, you're not playing. Right. right? So, that I, I thought of joining a summer league, a, a women's summer league, in in Toronto when I lived there. Um, but I just I couldn't. The scheduling is right. first of all the options aren't that many, and it's all if it's going to be a women's league, which I wouldn't be nearly good enough to play with men. Um, that I just don't have time during the hockey season, so it's just backyard hockey for me. Yeah, <laughs> you've got to be rooting for uh, Bruins Leafs third year in a row, right now to get to get back and cover the series. That's... Now that I'm actually going to be in the rooms, because yeah. before I was covering it from a news perspective, absolutely, yeah, I, uh, I, I couldn't wait to see that. I know that back home though, 
my fr- my friends who are Leafs fans do not want to do that. <laughs> of so not. that is the truth. Yeah. Well, I want to ask both of you because you're both in the room, and uh, this dressing room has the reputation of being like veteran leadership and like the perfect exemplary dressing room. Although I did see some people talking about Thornton. You know, maybe they'll trade for Joe Thornton to add yet another like veteran guy back into the to the group. But is that overblown, or do you both see that when you're in there? Like, uh, do you want to start? It, just veteran from well, one end to the other. If if you compare it to what maybe it was ten years ago, and where all these Marshawn and DeBrusque aside, I pretty guess. much it's all these guys are growing up now. You, know, I've yeah. watched them grow up. I mean, it makes me freaking old, but <laughs> I've seen everyone. You know, from David Krejci to Marshawn to Bergeron to you know. So there's definitely plenty of. Of, of leadership there now, even without Bacchus, you know, out of the room. I mean, that was a big deal a couple of years ago when they were bringing these younger guys in. But um, it's as pro- professional as it gets for sure. Probably I, intimidating in some ways to step in there and not know these guys. And like you know, Char is not not an easy guy to reach as a reporter, as a player, yeah. as a young player. You mean as a reporter? Yeah. Uh, yes and no. For me, I'm. You know, when I started covering hockey, I was literally 19, an intern, and these men were. All older than me. Maybe there were two 19-year-olds, but they were older than all older than me. And I didn't know my way around the league. I didn't know my way around a room very well. And I'm 33 right now. And everyone's younger than me, save four or five guys in that room. And th- th- there's, and for my end, there's no intimidation. It's just like I've, it's, you, there's a respect. There's absolutely, like when I, when I talk to Bergeron, for instance, there's this massive respect because he's very respectful to the media. Like, I'll join a scrum late because I'm talking to someone else. I know he just answered this question, but I need it. So I'll say, I'm sorry, you just asked it, but, or you just answered it. Can I talk to you? And he's so like, yep, and you'll give you a thorough answer. And so there's like this respect of what they give you as leaders. Yeah. But in terms of uh, veteran leadership, just quickly, the younger guys that are called up from Providence, I always try to get them for a couple seconds off camera just to chit chat with them. And what you notice is that they are clearly aware of their resume and what they've done. And you could see the respect in them for the leaders in the room. I don't know if it's unspoken or spoken or what they say behind closed doors, but I could feel it from some of the younger guys. I don't know if you feel that. when I, th- I think also, just to go back to what Ken said about intimidated, I think some some of the young guys, you know, mm-hmm. everyone's different. Mm-hmm. And most of them come in and they're they're just going to play hockey and they'll get get along with and they do understand what they're in. I think some of them do get intimidated and it affects their play at the beginning. That's why you see guys come up, go down, come back again. You know, I, don't, I don't think Trent Frederick necessarily was was ready to jump in with David Backus, his, his childhood hero, and start playing. And yeah, you know, so you see that the guys like that, you could tell some of them are more bashful and shy, and that affects your play when you're afraid to like say anything in the room, even though we know they wouldn't they wouldn't have a problem with it. Yeah, yeah. But they they're definitely you know different guys, different personalities. But totally, they, they, the ones that get it. Move on. Are you? Uh, I'm curious what you think of the coverage of the Bruins in town outside of Nesson, because obviously Nesson does a great job covering. Mm-hmm. This is one of Matt's pet peeves, he, he, because obviously you, you're there every day. And you, but in sports radio here, I mean, Dale will talk about the Bruins, but most other shows where it's just Tom Brady all day, 24-7. Is that bizarre to you coming from Canada in terms of the, the coverage outside of Nesson? Yes, actually, it's a, a good point. So I... Um when I started in the city, when I was driving, I was just listening to all sports radio. I listen to music now on the way to work, just <laughs> for the record. But when I started, that would have been September, October. So football season's just gearing up, and it was all Tom Brady. All, and then the Red Sox were obviously out, so it was all football. And then uh, the Bruins would get a little side note. Oh, and by the way, mm-hmm. 10 seconds on the Bruins. Right, right. Um, but on, on another note, I was telling Matt that when I'm out and about, I meet real fans, and they're not like 
they're so passionate. Like they know their team inside out. They know the history. And so the level of passion when you do have a fan, it's not surface level. It's like a very deep fan. Um, But yes, in Toronto, everything revolved around the Toronto Maple Leafs. We don't have an NFL team. The Blue Jays, when they were good, they got some attention. And, you know, the Raptors, they've recently had yeah. this surge. So there's that. But but it, it is hockey for 45 minutes and the other two, three sports for the last 15. So it is a bit different. But I, I'm not really exposed to that because I work for Ness. Yeah. So I'm like immersed right. in no, Bruins exactly. coverage. That's what happens. We all get immersed in it. And we don't really realize that people aren't paying attention sometimes. But because we see those passionate fans mm-hmm. and you think, okay, everyone must be like that. But then, but then I'll go to a family event or something, and people will be like, "Oh, what do you do?" And I'll tell them to go. Oh, I don't really watch the Bruins. Like, what are you talking <laughs> what? about? How do you how when you've been in the playoffs for the last X amount of years exactly. and you don't watch the Bruins? How about national Bruins respect? I wanted to ask both of you about this. I see a lot of the power rankings coming out. Tampa still number one. I mean, you'll get some Bruins in it too, but I don't think even Washington, Pittsburgh. Now that they made this trade. It seems like nobody – do people think the Bruins' run last year was a fluke? Are they getting disrespected nationally? I don't think so. No? No, I don't. I mean, I, I th- when you at first asked that question, I thought you meant fans – if fans come out around the league, I want to side note, like there are so many fans in every away arena. It's it's crazy. Oh, that mm-hmm. is true. Yeah. That Displaced is very Bostonians, cool. Bostonians, yeah. That is very cool. But no – um, I don't always have the chance to go to away dressing rooms when we're on the road. It just depends on where the, the Bruins skate and practice. But I feel like – Amongst their peers, they are definitely um, highly respected and and the target on their back, so to speak. But it is, I hate cliches, but measuring stick game Mm -hmm. is against the Boston Bruins. I think most teams coming in are like expecting. Definitely. I guess more media. I mean, because Tampa had six wins last year. Just to go on Sophia's point, I mean, look at that that quote from JT Miller Mm -hmm. after that game. He was obviously sick and tired of answering questions about the Bruins. They'd always been asking him these measuring stick questions, and he basically just said, you know, they're just another team enough. Leave me alone. Mm -hmm. That was basically the paraphrase. But, yeah, I mean, the media, they're always going to discount the Bruins because – they have to give all their attention to, to Toronto. So, yeah. I mean, no matter what Toronto – I mean, Toronto's probably not even the top two or three Canadian team right now as far as playing well, yet everyone wants to only talk about the Leafs. So, and then that just trickles down. I mean, we know that. But I think also you know, the Bruins got a lot of respect at the beginning for the way they started. I mean, they've, they've just slowed down, and Tampa's come on. Uh, like you said, Washington's been yeah. pretty consistent. So that's that's kind of affected any of these power ranking type things. But I think, yeah, when it, when it comes down to it, they're probably not going to be – one of the top two or three teams picked for the cup just because of these way that Tampa Bay and, and Washington and things like that have come along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when when are the best teams ever – when does that ever translate into what actually happens right. or equate to what actually happens in I the I know. Playoffs, you you're know? Better, better off not winning the President's Trophy, right? Exactly. Better tank here. Let Tampa take it. Exactly. And then we get Boston-Toronto in the first round. <laughs> Which would it be would be great. your dream scenario. Yeah. Yes, but I get to go home. I was just thinking – I was looking at the calendar. I was like, ooh, maybe I could have Easter at home. Oh, nice. yeah. <laughs> there you go. All right, before you go, we need a Jack, Brick, and a Dale story. I mean, do, do you have anything? Okay, hold on, hold on. On the spot over here. Um, or pick one of the three anyway. Well, Dale, I don't – unfortunately, Dale, dear Dale – <laughs> Sophia, you're so much writing you. I don't really get to interact with Dale because he's in studio and I'm on the bench. And so we have a couple, what we call mix minus between commercial. We'll check our mics. We'll say hello. And that's it. It's better for and you. And then uh, <laughs> I don't ever get to see him. Jack and Brick, I'm on the, on the road with all the time. Uh, I'll pick Brick because Brick and I have bonded about our mutual love for Elvis Presley. Oh, so wow, we're on the weird. road well, and we I'm go a big for dinner. Elvis fan too. Huge so Elvis. You, you are? Yeah. Yes, I'm a huge Elvis fan. Um, I don't know why, to be honest with you. My the music dad, or the movies? Music. Oh. I don't, yeah, music. I don't know if I like 
I've seen some of his movies, but I don't think in my adulthood when I was a kid, maybe. Yeah. But I'll I'll I have him on my phone. I'll spend just afternoons listening to Elvis. And Brick is a huge oldies fan, and so when we go out. In different cities, we try to find restaurants that have real jukeboxes, and we will take turns uh, hitting up the jukebox. So some Dean Martin, some Connie Francis, but Elvis <laughs> is what we've bonded over. So that's that's wow. my story. So the Vegas trip was like awesome, or were you not into the the Elvis Vegas scene? No, that was after. Yeah, we did have a night there. I actually went to go play top golf in Vegas, but um, that was my first road trip with the team. I didn't know Jack and Brick very well. We did mm. not do dinner together. Oh, okay. Um, but most recently in Jersey, we went to a Frank Sinatra bar. Oh, wow. And then we played a ton of Frank, but they had Elvis in the jukebox. And that's him and I sat at the bar and just chit-chatted about that. And it was very nice. Sang Pretty some songs cool. together. Mm-hmm. Well, wow. Mm-hmm. Jeez. It's hard yeah. to envision. Uh, worst road city. Worst road city. Well, I'm Canadian. And I'd never been to Winnipeg. The thing is, I had landed at like 9 o'clock. And then we had the game the next day. So I did, really didn't get to see it. And it was a freezing day. But I was just freezing. I just come from Miami, and I was just miserable. So there, there you go. But I, I didn't get to see enough of it. Yeah. Um, I know the fans there are crazy. And as uh, when I used to work in Canadian National News, we covered just their fandom for uh, alone as a story. So I know that the fans there are great. I didn't get to see much of the city, um, and I haven't seen them all yet. There's still a couple more to go. I was pleasantly surprised by Arizona. I, I know the rink's really far away. I know. But uh, hanging out in Scottsdale was yeah, really cool. you can't go wrong with that. No. Yeah. Uh, what else? What have I missed, Ned? Oh, we just have to find out. I mean, we have two weeks of the trade deadline. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So what's your what's your gut kind of telling you about what the Bruins are going to do? Well, I mean, I was thinking about this, and I wasn't here, as you know, covering the Bruins last season. Um, I was actually on a, a bit of a Raptors beat, and then I was in Europe for half the playoffs. So I, I missed a lot of like mm-hmm. the details, but I was following along. And correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding was that there was a little bit of pushing around of the Boston Bruins, especially against St. Louis. And so they bring in a Brett Ritchie. For as a bigger body, and he uses body more. He's no longer he's no longer playing up, and I feel like that may be something that if you're gonna win this season, you gotta get a bigger body. And I was right. like, you're not gonna get Dustin Bufflin, but that that kind of a um, just toughness that sure. there, you know, like Jamie Oleksiak is a big guy, just, just someone that can intimidate. And that was David Backus's role a bit too, right. but that didn't pan yeah. out. So someone that can let the other teams know that if you mess with us. It's not going to go unnoticed. That is true because if you think about it, how they, kept, they had to keep inserting Bacchus into the lineup last year. Mm-hmm. They would take him out after a couple of games, but they put him back in every time they felt that need. Mm-hmm. They don't have that right now. And if you got into that trouble, what would you do? It might have to be Brett Ritchie. Well, it's interesting, <laughs> though, because Ka- th- that was an incident last year where Cassidy had a Bacchus sit down, right? And, right. And we presume they talked about fighting a little bit. Yep. And then that was controversial in and of itself. But then this year. Cassidy was sort of blamed by the fans, I felt, for not having the team toughness getting pushed around. After Tuca? Yeah, after Tuca yeah. got run. So, did you know, how does Cassidy feel about that? Does he want an enforcer or does he not? I mean, I, I, don't, think, I don't think he'd be mad at having that body. Exactly. Uh, but just the way they responded after that Tuca incident, not for one game, but for the next several, and then it just kicked, kicked into this winning streak that they've been on, minus last game. But... Um, you you know Tori Krug stepped up. Char always steps up. Uh, who who had that hit? Was it Lozon who had a really big up right. up the up, up the middle hit? But you, I don't think you can lean on Tori to do that. His his he's a, he's great, but I don't right. think that's going to be his yeah. role. Sure. Um, so they need that, and I think Bruce would recognize how much that would help help his guys. But who like 
who with the cap that they have exactly I, I don't know right I don't know or can can they can Brett Ritchie you know um come back and, and be that for that them. might be the last resort but yeah. hopefully they add someone at the deadline whether it's Brendan Dillon from San Jose someone like that someone with size that could just plug in there it doesn't have to be somebody that plays every game yeah. it mm-hmm. could be someone that they say okay the matchup isn't as good this time around or we, we've been missing this you throw them in a couple of games it changes the momentum of the series I think Bruce is learning that mm-hmm. he didn't really quite maybe grasp it totally last year he was catching he was learning on the fly where he was throwing back us in and throwing Coleman and he did the same thing with John Moore like he needed to be more proactive than reactive, mm-hmm. but I think, you know, obviously he's learning as much as the uh, the rest as the players. Do you think, I mean, if they're going to make a move, is that would that be a mean one for you, or do you think that there's something else that they could, you know, I know? Yeah, I think, I think the bigger the bigger ticket items they're probably going to shy away from. We, we've talked a lot about on this show about Chris Kreider, and mm-hmm. we know the price is going to be ridiculous, and I don't think they're going to be ready to do that. And they don't, there are some schools of thought that you don't have to, be so over the top to put this team over the top. I mean, they've been pretty damn good mm-hmm. for two years, and just the, some subtle additions, some extra depth could probably help. But it's now, right? It's now or never. Or See, do I don't, I don't subscribe to that either okay. because I just the, the window's closing. You want to trade Krejci? We had a big discussion. He wants to trade Krejci at the end of the year. I don't want to trade Krejci, oh, but yeah. you know, hard decisions have to be made. You know, mm-hmm. Cam Neely, when he was on on with us, said how difficult it was to trade Milan Lucic. Yes, but that. <laughs> was a huge move because it got that cap space freed up. They were able to make other moves. They got draft picks. And sometimes you just got to make the painful decisions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you guys know management and the way they think better than I do. But uh, when I when I joined, um, Carlo and McAvoy were, weren't signed yet. Right. And so... And just to see how that they were able to accommodate that was pretty incredible exactly. to me. Coming from Leafsland, <laughs> right. which is the opposite. Just, yeah. which you is, get a long-term a lot of contract. Star power. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, William <laughs> Nylander sits out for half the... So it was very different. I was like, sure. whoa, this team... That's the first thing I, I noticed. I was like, they are okay to take less to play here, which is very interesting because right. it's not like that in Toronto. And that that yeah. puts the heat on Tory Krug. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, nice job. I mean, you've got a radio future, I think, if you want it. You probably don't want it. The money's no good. Invite stay me back, TV. please. I we would can kick Dale out. What about, like, uh, Keith and Yerkstevich? <laughs> That's a good midday show. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Keith and Witt. <laughs> Yerkstevich. Yeah. yeah, Keith and Witt. Uh, no, I'd love to come back. This was fun. So thank you for having me and, and uh, making me feel more welcome. Uh, every day as I as I live in Boston. And people find you where? Where's the you social media? You social know? media. I'm really active on Instagram, which is my name, Sophia Yurkstevich. Just Google J-U-R. It'll come up. Um, and then Twitter. Uh, and, of course, on Nesson. Thank you. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks to Sophia and uh, to Casey, who came in to uh, help us with the interview as well from Nesson. And, um, you know, I, I think she's got a future. I, I, I told her uh, right there. We'll, we'll get Dale out of here if you <laughs> want to put her on the middays. Um, but maybe we can have her on the skate uh, Sunday, on Sunday skate uh, yep. throughout the playoffs. You know, yeah. I don't usually try to ask some people to come up at 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning, but you never know. She might be up at an early riser, and she might want to call in someday. Now, we brought up Joe Thornton real quick in there. I want I kind of wedge that in. Oh, and by the way, uh, before we get to that, the poll question up yesterday took off like fire. I bet it Another did. Another great idea by me. Cause, because I thought this was the most controversial part of Sunday skate over the weekend. Yep. We didn't spend all that much time on it, but you, your stance, and I think Pete endorsed it as well, that David Krejci is possibly a trade candidate at the end of the year mm-hmm. with one year left on his deal. No, he does right. have a, a full no-trade clause, correct? I believe uh, it's a full no-trade. I, I think he has a list. Oh, you're right. I'm reading here on Cap Friendly, a modified no-trade clause. Player must provide at least 50% of the teams playing in the NHL as of the 20 season to which you would accept a trade if odd round the number down. So, okay, so half the teams. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so... Uh, I mean, it would still be hard to trade him because we know he does, as everyone does, they love Boston, they mm-hmm. want to stay here, they want to be part of this winning culture, but, you know... The, like we said on Sunday, that 
hard decisions have to be made. And uh, you have the replacements coming up through your pipeline for the likes of a David, of David Krejci, who's probably going to want at least what he's making now, if not more, in the next deal. And, uh, you know, you don't have as much to replace Tory Krug at this point. Now, uh, Krug, I put in there specifically, here was the wording of the poll question, if David Krejci waived his no trade, would you endorse moving him after the season to keep Tory Krug? So uh, 60-30 in favor of trade Krejci if needed. Mm. Um, but the response is visceral yeah. from some. Sure. From our buddy Chris, this is going to put me in therapy, this poll. Uh, from Ray, five to six years of Krug or one year of Krejci, pretty easy decision. But if they can move Bacchus, maybe they can have both Krug and Krejci next year. Find that true if they can unload Bacchus's contract somehow. So that's yeah, that I gets mean, back the trading. Right, pick. obviously that six million. If you were able to get that whole six million off of there, obviously yeah. the gap, the cap hit. You know, the cash goes down, so that he might be he'll be more tradable if not if they don't just buy him out. So there's a possibility. But then you also have to factor in the Debrusque, Debrusque next deal, Bjork's next deal, Grizzlick's next deal. Um, you know, and then looking ahead already to you have the, the one p- negative about short-term deals with uh, Carlo and McAvoy, and especially in Carlo's case, is that now you he he becomes eligible for an extension already, and you have to start dealing with Carlo again. So, uh, a lot of hard choices there, and you know, I've got a lot of blowback from my stance that I think Charlie Coyle is ready to be the number two center, especially if. Uh, so Nick is ready to step in to be the three, and uh, I'm not saying it's going to be a 70-point David Krejci replacement, but clearly a high-end player who gives the Bruins depth down the middle. And you know you have to you have to trade from your strengths. You can't you're not going to keep everyone, and and, and you don't. What what are you going to pay David Krejci? It's really hard because on the one hand, yeah, he could he's been a 70-point player, and so he would probably be looking for a a, a raise. But he's going to be 34 by the time he hits free agency. 30, he'll be 34, 35 in there because he turns his birthday is in April, and um, so is he going to take a pay cut? This might. This is the you know Tory Krug is one test of whether people are going to take less to stay here. But David Krejci yeah. would probably have to take a pay cut. I don't think they're going you know eight million with with a, he, with a 35 year old center. You interviewed him and he wants to be known as a winner. He wants to play for. Yeah, a winner, I mean, so. I'm not saying I'm not ruling it out, but I'm saying if he. If you get the feeling, if you're Don Sweeney, you get the feeling that this guy's going to want at least the seven million he's making now. Um, you have to, you know, pursue what you can. I mean, again, we're not trading. I think Pete did bring this up, Potter, on Sunday. When you're trading David Krejci, you're getting something in return. Mm-hmm. You're not giving him away as a salary dump. Right. You're making some sort of hockey trade that benefits you another way. Whether it's another wing to play with Coil, whether it's more defense help to to, to bolster the, your your defense core. That's true. Um. You know, because obviously, if you're getting Krug, if you keep a Krug, maybe you're not keeping Grizzlick. Well, you still need a Grizzlick replacement. There's there's a lot of chips that fall, but people always think, oh, you want to trade this guy? How are you gonna, you know, wh- what are you gonna do to replace him? And it's like, well, you're gonna get something for him. <laughs> well, Cameron agrees with you. He tweets, "I'm fine with that coil more than capable of playing second line center." Hey, Stadnika, somebody does. That's Stadnika the first Stadnika one. Will be here next year. That's the first one that agrees with me. Bob also, Stadnika ready for a top nine role. Uh, Allen says, "Depends on the discount Krug is willing to give. If it's seven yeah. million plus, then you trade him." Uh, did you trade well, Krug? He says, "Yeah, well, seven million is probably the the ceiling at this point. You know, something in the seven million ballpark for deciding whether you keep him or not." PJ though says, "How about the Bruins trade a uh, play Krejci with a legit top six forward for the first time in years?" <laughs> you know what? It's a good point. Going back to my story and going back to everything we've talked about Krejci, I mean, the fact is the guy produces no matter who he plays with. So if you're the Bruins, why would you overpay to to add that type of player? If you know, you might have to. You might like we talked about with Kreider, where he might play with Coyle. Mm-hmm. That might be the case because if if you have a guy that needs that needs the wings, I mean, again, we go back to this whole mythology that 
David Critchie should make his wings better, but he's he's putting up 70-point seasons, so clearly he's doing something right, and uh, that's just his lot in life. You know, some of us have to be freelancers for their whole life, and some of us have to be number two centers who never get a regular right wing for half a decade. <laughs> Tom says, I don't want to imagine the Bruins' power play without Tory Krug. So that's yeah. the other part. Well, that's the whole other story, right? I mean, no one has grabbed that job when they've been given the opportunity, whether it's Grizzlick filling in for Krug when he was injured, whether it's, you know, McAvoy on that second in that second group. That second group has a lot of talent, right? Critchie's in that group, Grizzlick's in that group. Um, they're not nearly as potent as the first group. And, you know, I, I going back to we talked about leadership with Sophia, I mean, again, Tori Krug is a huge part of the second wave of, of leaders. It's 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 Krug, it's Coyle, um, you know, Marshand, if you don't count them in that first group, is part of this group. And so um, it's, it's a huge voice in the room. Now, um, the Penguins made a trade this week for Jason Zucker, and you wrote about this at, at the time, that this may actually be to the Bruins' benefit of right. lowering the price because it is. Now, he's a guy who signed through 2023 for 5.5 annual value, so three right. additional years. But they gave up first-round pick, Alex Galchenyuk, and their best prospect. Their this best is prospect. what's best that's left. Yeah, in that's kind of just a it. System, it, it, but it might not have lowered the price necessarily. But a, it took one, it took one competitor out of the race. You would figure the Penguins are done as far as forwards. Maybe they want a second tier guy, but I don't think Rutherford's ever done. They're not in. They're not in the mix for a top six guy unless they're really going to blow things up, right? And they set. They paid a price that the Bruins. I don't think anyone else was paying that price to get even a guy who signed for three more years. A guy who you know could easily fall off uh, production wise. Quickly, like you said, a first round, and, and I, I throw Galchenyuk out there. That's salary, you know, tr- swapping. The first and the top prospect. I mean, you're not giving that up for even for Kreider, right? I mean, you're not doing that at this point. So at least it's the, the Penguins. The Penguins satisfied their needs by paying a crazy price, and hopefully took them out of the running when it comes to competing with the Bruins. Uh, so that's interesting that it started the trade talk. But I want to focus on Thornton. I brought him up uh, with Sophia, Joe Thornton. Now. Yeah. Now, we, He's got we, two goals, right? We broached this in we December, broached, yes. the the idea of him, and it, to me it felt more realistic then than now. But now Tampa's reportedly interested in him, so I mm-hmm. find that interesting too. Right. If you don't get him, uh, now Tampa could do a million other things, and, I, and Thornton's not the player he was. Everybody knows that. Yeah. But just the mystic quality of the guy <laughs> you took first overall in 1997, yeah. coming back here and adding that presence to the room, I don't know where the hell you would play him. Maybe he would be a fourth-line center. No, he would be your third line, and Coyle would probably be moved to the wing. Which I'm not sure that's the best thing, the way Coyle's driving lines and, and uh, Bruce Cassidy's talking about that right now. That's not their biggest you can issue. Drive, you could drive a line from the wing, especially if Joe Thornton's going to play more of a checking role. Um, it could be Coyle playing with, with Thornton. It could be Coyle playing with Critchie. You don't know. But uh, but how cool would that be? That's That would be bigger than a Ginla. Oh, for sure. Anything with Joe Thornton would be bigger. Uh, be bigger than almost... Any acquisition they've made since the Charis of our year. I mean, seriously. I mean, you know, Nathan Horton didn't come here with much fanfare. He had, he had been, you know, kind of in and out consistent production wise in, in Florida. And, um, yeah, the, the Ginla thing was only, you remember, Ginla was kind of near the end there and was just kind of an afterthought after they traded Sagan. And so, um, that's, that's the thing they would compare it to would be adding Tyler Sagan, uh, when they did. Uh, the number two pick in the draft went to a team that you know got not had that collapse in 2010, and then you bring in a Tyler Sagan, even though you didn't have the worst record in the league, that was huge. But yeah, if you added, but it, it would be more like you said, you don't. He's not the player that he was. 
it would be more like the name than this guy's going to be the player that puts you over the top. If you're looking for a center and you want to win the cup, you probably would want to look on look at Peugeot in Ottawa or, well, or someone not, like that. JG Peugeot, he's too small. Like Thornton, you know, just the presence, yeah. just the. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it makes it interesting. It would be interesting to see how he. I mean, there's no doubt he'd fit in the room because. Nothing ever, be nothing ever phases Joe Thor. There's the roar of the garden, like the first night he comes out in the 19, and just, uh, man. Maybe they bring out, you know, Marco Sturm and uh, Wayne Primo and Brad Stewart <laughs> to, like, be the banner captains or what? Well, Char is still in plan. He was he was playing in the league, what, nine years before Thornton yeah, exactly. was drafted, so it's not that old. Uh, I don't know. It's just, it is something to think about here with a couple weeks to go. It, it is sentimental. I think it is more, you know, as you say, name than it is punch on the ice. But uh, I'd be in favor of just the drama of seeing him out there. You oh, know? for sure, it'd be a great story for sure. You score one playoff go, I mean, the roof would come off the building. Just, just there, there's some, some some kind of an intangible. Well, what if what if they what if they lose in the first round? Did everyone, <laughs> would everyone blow Joe? <laughs> then he's Rick Nash. Joe Thornton. Then, or then why did you <laughs> why did you waste the first round pick on this guy? Well, I don't think he would cost that. Nah. But, uh, anyway, uh, just put that out there, food for thought. All right, I'll talk to you next week. Well, first, we'll see you on Sunday. Right for the next Sunday skate, Pete Blackburn will be in. And, uh, again, thank you to Nesson and Sophia and uh, more big-name guests in the future. That's all we do here on the Skate Podcast.